What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's great to be here with all of you. Uh, Before I welcome my guest today, I just want to remind all our new listeners to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of women leaders bringing you news and inspiration from their various industries. And we continue to be grateful for their sponsorship of Women to Watch and the support and wisdom that they bring to the show each week. As we continue to expand into new markets, we're always looking for additional corporate partners. So if you're interested in being a part of the show, please email taylor at womentowatch.net. And don't forget to download the podcast each week so you never miss an episode. And you can do that at womentowatch.net as well um, and sign up for our newsletter. So now I'm very honored and excited to welcome to the show Dr. Yaba Blay. 
Dr. Blay is a scholar, activist, and author, and she's joining us from Philadelphia. So welcome to the show, Yaba. Thank you. Thank it's you great for having to, me. It's great to have you. T- tell me, where, what part of Philadelphia are you? I am in Germantown. In Germantown. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not far from where I grew up. Okay. Little Little town called Flower Town. Okay. <laughs> um, so I wanted to start off, first of all, you know, I've been doing my research and reading about you and listening to a lot of the um, interviews and talks that you've done and I drafted all my questions and then I came upon your conversation with Brene Brown and I scratched everything and started over. Oh wow. So um, I want to start off with this quote. Um, You said, I think that so much of my story is wrapped up in being first generation and occupying a very interesting space between two worlds and two cultures. Um, I thought that might be a great place to start and have you explain to the listeners what you, you know, what that means to you. Well, you know, people have different ideas of whether I'm first generation or second generation. I don't know the exact terminology, but first generation is where I land. Um, And by first generation, meaning I'm the first generation on both sides of my family to be born in the United States of America. And so my father came to this country to pursue his doctorate in sociology. My mother joined him later, and I was born a few years after that. And so they're both coming from Ghana, both being raised in Ghanaian culture. And then having me in the United States and, you know, being challenged with raising me also Ghanaian, but in a new environment. And so there were no models, right? There was no one for me to look towards in terms of, uh, I guess, family members to say, this is how you do it. You know, this is what it's like. And so in a lot of ways, my ideas of myself, my ideas of family are very much um, wrapped up in that, you know. So for me, family is so much bigger than blood, you know. All of the people who I consider aunties and uncles and cousins are people, most of whom I am not related to by blood, you know. Um, But then also coming to understand who I am in terms of my identity. And so what's interesting is my father as the world would have it. He grew up in Ghana. Um, Well, both of my parents grew up in Ghana during the time that Ghana was fighting for its independence, um, guided by Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, who was a Pan-Africanist. And so in terms of identity, you know, my father, being a professor himself, was my first teacher. And I think he took that role on <laughs> with pride. And so I I remember, you know, times my father, like a drill sergeant, you know, telling me that I am African, telling me that I am Ghanaian, telling me that I am black, and, and very much wanting me to know that on the one hand, while that might make me different than others, it also connected me to so many others, you know? So he was very much Pan-Africanist in that way. And so in a lot of ways, it armed me for a lot of the teasing, of course, that I received um, when my classmates and other children would find out that, you know, you're from Africa, insert all of the, you know, kind of ignorant, (laughs) mean questions that can come, of course. And, you know, my retort is always like, well, you African too, you know? (laughs) And so (laughs) very much um, always, 
in a lot of ways teaching other folks, you know, that although we may have these particular ideas about Africa or being taught about Africa or not in particular ways, know that we all came from Africa. And so though I might have a more direct connection, it doesn't make me that much different than you. And so, you know, I can reflect back and connect the dots now, but I know that my identity as an African woman as a black woman has always been at the center and at the forefront of, of who I am and how I move through the world. When you um, think back to those statements from your dad and those conversations, did it, did you have a sense of pride when you were little? Did it make you feel proud? Oh yeah, absolutely. It made me feel proud. Um, particularly, you know, looking at, pictures of family members and of course you know I, I, I came to understand later visiting but you know of course everyone dresses up in their best right for pictures but everyone just looks so regal um, my father for a long time kept I remember getting a typewriter for, as a gift I don't know if it was a birthday or Christmas and I would just type stories and I would make up all kinds of stories and I happened to take one of these stories to school um, <laughs> in which I basically told everyone that I was a princess and uh, <laughs> I had a crown and, you know, all of these kinds of ways that I was trying to, you know, push back against, the, again, the kind of ignorant questions, you know, have you ever written an elephant? You know, those kinds of things. I was like, yeah, I wrote an elephant, you know, all through my kingdom. Um, and so... <laughs> You know, having my father be like, okay, that's cute, but that's also not true. So you have to find a way, you know, to find pride in who you are without having to, like, create well, an self-esteem entire... self-esteem is one thing, but lying is another. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, I, I absolutely, I felt proud. And again, you know, kudos to my father. On the one hand, I don't know that he could have been prepared or knew what I would face, but I think he tried as best he could, uh to make me feel good about who I was, you know? And so I, I know that I, I I took pride in my name, you know? I, and I don't know, it's uh, in reflecting, I don't know if these are things that I came to make sense of as an adult or things that I really felt in the moment as a child. But, you know, my name is Yaba. It's four letters, but people always act like it is such, you know, how do you pronounce it? It's like try. It's four letters, you know. Um, but seeing, I didn't need to ask how to pronounce the, your name. Yeah, but, you know, seeing something that doesn't look like the standard, you know, Katie or Sue or Jen or whatever, and, and making such a big deal about my name. But my parents let me know very early on that my name had a meaning. You know, I know the whole story of my naming. And so if people, you know, would act a certain way, like, oh, that's weird or that's strange. I'm like, well, what's your name mean? You know, is there a story to your naming? You know, and so I, I always walked. It might have been a chip on my shoulder. I don't know. But I always walked with this thing of like, you may want to make fun of me in this moment, but there's a whole story that comes with me, you know, and I, and I know that story. What about you? Listen, we're going to go into our first break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you. I, I have another quote, and it speaks to what drives the work that you do. And you, you kind of just referenced it when you said, I might have a chip on my shoulder. And I, <laughs> I want to talk more about that. Stay with us, and I'll be back with Dr. Yaba Blay. Again, 
She is a scholar and an activist, a public speaker, a cultural consultant, and author of One Drop, Shifting the Lens on Race. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Skin cancer, the most common cancer in the U.S. Melanoma, the most fatal form, is increasing faster than any other potentially preventable cancer in, the, in our country. Non-melanomas include basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Basal cell can be flat and yellowish, or maybe a small, pink, shiny, some say pearly, bump. They tend to grow slowly, but left untreated, can grow into deeper layers and even invade the bone. They usually occur in sun-exposed areas. Squamous cell cancers, also sun-exposed areas, occasionally in the skin of the genital area, also develop in scars and skin sores elsewhere. Rough or scaly red patches which crust and bleed. Sometimes their raised growths or lumps with a lower area in the center. UV rays of the sun cause greatest risk. Also, arsenic and well water, some pesticides. HPV may relate to some skin cancers in the genital area. People who are immunosuppressed, such as organ transplants, HIV, long-term steroids, and tanning booths, they should be outlawed. They increase your risk for melanoma by 75%. Melanoma, the skin cancer that's more likely to spread to other areas of the body, even causing death. It can occur on the skin, but also can begin in the lining of your sinus, your eye, anus, or vaginal area. Naturally, brown and black skin has a higher level of melanin, which protects from sunburn and skin cancer, but they can still get skin cancer, more often in areas that don't see the sun, like melanomas of the palm, the sole, or under fingernails or toenails. Melanoma occurs in 1 in 40 Caucasians, 1 in 1,000 African Americans. Today on Your Radio Doctor, our guest was Dr. Bill Higgins from University of Penn Dermatology. We spoke about various treatments, including the Mohs procedure. Listen on yourradiodoctor.net. Here are the rules. Avoid strong sun between 10 and 4. UV rays can pass through on cloudy days, too. Sunscreen, 30 to 50, even in the shade. UV rays can reflect off other surfaces. Sunscreen does expire. Buy new each season. Fake tans look nice, but do not protect from sunburn. And no sunscreen under age six months. And that's the skinny. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. My guest today is Dr. Yaba Blay. And uh, I want to share another quote, Yaba. This I just thought this was really insightful. You said, in so many ways, a lot of the things that I've done and pushed myself to do have been to prove people wrong. And then you followed that up with, which hasn't really done my spirit well. Right. So I, I love that you recognize that. And I'm curious if you feel you've been able to, or are you trying to move past that? Because living to prove something to others is probably not uh, the best thing for us. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge, you know. Um, I think it's also it's also because of the work that I do. You know, my work centers on race. It centers on culture. Centers on blackness. It's very much about dismantling and resisting white supremacy. And in the world that we live in, it's a fight, you know. And so, I think there's still um, parts of me that is still working hard to prove other people wrong in a lot of ways, but it doesn't feel as personalized. You know, in that particular conversation, I was talking about the, the particular ways that my specific work 
was being received or not, you know, and feeling like, well, I'm going to write the longest dissertation in the history of my department because y'all said that I couldn't do it, right? Coming to realize that those individual people didn't matter as much, you know, as much as the work itself did. So I think in, in, in a broader sense, I think the work is still very much motivated, maybe not by proving people wrong as much as it is about showing people, you know, showing people another way, pushing people to think critically um, and to move outside of their own kind of normative beings. Um, but it's not as personalized. I don't feel as much that I personally have something to prove to people. Um, you know, yeah, but two, two questions I always ask on my show, and you just answered one, like, what do you think drives you? Um, because there's, there's always something from, you know, the beginning. And um, the other question is, what happened to you? And there's been a lot of talk around that question recently with Dr. Bruce Perry and, and Oprah um, coming out with a really important book. Um, you've shared with me that you were m molested as a young girl. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question for you is how deep is that scar for you today? Hmm. I don't know how to measure the depth of the scar. I do know that it's not something that I can ignore um, or, or just kind of wish or pray away. It has, uh, it's marked me, you know, it has absolutely impacted the ways in which I uh, see myself, the ways in which I see other people. It's impacted my ability to mother a daughter of my own and, and to grandmother two more little black girls. It has impacted my need to, and it really is a need and desire to protect black girls in ways that I don't feel like I was protected. And we talk a lot about protecting girls and protecting black girls. And I'm not speaking about a physical protection, though that is important. I'm also very much aware of how we talk about black girls, right? How we think about black girls, the ways in which we project images of black girls, how all of those things come to impact our desire to protect black girls or the lack thereof, you know? So much of my work is about wanting to reclaim joy and reclaim girlhood and allow black girls to be girls. I don't think that we allow um, black girls the freedom of our youth in the ways that we may girls of other backgrounds, races, and cultures that in a lot of ways, and again, this is very much connected to a history of white supremacy and racism, patriarchy, and capitalism, but you know, in a lot of ways, our value is still being measured by how our bodies look, right? And so if, in, in my case, I developed very early on, I was wearing not a training bra, but a bra, you know, second or third grade, is that my fault? Or is that how nature took its course? Mm -hmm. But given a particular history and given a particular, um, the ways in which our bodies were sexualized historically very early on, the ways in which our community then tries to quote unquote protect us is to say cover up, right? Or there are grown men coming around so you need to go in the back or don't sit on this person's lap or don't do all of the kind of, of, of warnings, right, are geared towards us as opposed to 
why aren't you talking to that grown man? <laughs> why aren't you telling him not to ask a little girl to sit on his lap? Why are you not concerned about the fact that he might be looking at a little girl as opposed to telling her to cover up? But again, historically, without the protection, without even the humanity, these are the ways that our foremothers and our ancestors attempted to do you know, what they could to protect us. So it was to put the onus on us. Unfortunately, though, what that does is, at least in a girl's mind, at least in my young girl's mind, it puts, again, the onus on me and it makes it my fault. Right. I, yep. I, I do not want to interrupt you. I, I'm you know, as you're talking, I'm I'm always wondering in uh, regarding many, many topics. Are are things getting better? How far have we come? Um do you think that the conversations we have today, because conversations are so much more public and accessible on a larger scale, um, where do you see the issue of race and the understanding of African-American history? In other words, you know, in, in some of my research and reading about the fact that we all kind of came from the same place, that says to me, well... Isn't that proof that we are all connected? I'm, I know it's more complicated than that, but I want to know how you feel we are as a society with the public conversations and, and more knowledge and history that, that you're sharing in particular. You know, so I'm a little honorary, so I don't know if I'm the person to ask <laughs> that question. Um, but in a lot of ways, you know, I just... I don't want to curse on your show, but we're full of crap. We do lots of talking. What's that mean? Right. And so, yeah, we can point to this notion that we all came from Africa. What's that mean in the context of white supremacy? It's like we want to talk about particular histories, but we don't want to talk about the politics of that history. And until we confront white supremacy, we're going to keep having the same conversation over and over again. We can't address equity unless we talk about the only way that we can get to equity is for folks to rescind privilege. Who wants to do that? And so this is why we're spinning our wheels. It's, it's, it's a very surface conversation. There is no way to be equitable if folks who are in power aren't willing to rescind their power. We're good. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, we're going to go into another break. And when we come back, I want to follow up on that with just where, if you think that um, evolution itself will take us any more closer to, you know, equality. I'm just going to leave it with that word. I think it's a good question. Um, stay with us. I'll be back with Dr. Yaba Blay. And stay with us for our watch team. We'll be right back. Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I am Cheryl Mackey, Lead of Financial Empowerment at United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. Here at United Way, we have the awesome privilege of working with many nonprofit agencies that are doing great work in the area. It is my mission to connect you, our listeners, with those agencies, maybe to support or to connect those within the community who can benefit from their service. This month, I will be highlighting Uplift Solutions and You Lift You in celebration of Men's Health Awareness Month. In addition, since we are in graduation season, congratulations, by the way, to all who have and will graduate this month, I will share some information concerning the Lubert College Savings Account Program and our partner, Utility Emergency Services Fund. When you hear about the phenomenal work being done, Please share it with your network, and together, let's get the word out. That's it for tonight. I am Cheryl Mackey, and thanks for listening. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net. N-E-T. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm, I'm really enjoying my conversation with Dr. Yaba Blay. And uh, I, I want to get to the book because it's so fascinating. And um, I understand that you self-published the book in, in 2013. Yes. Um, because publishers wouldn't take it. Right. Why? Um... You know, at the time, I don't know that they got it. They didn't see the value of the project. Um, what's interesting is that the book being acquired now happened in a particular moment. Let's be honest about that. We happened in a moment of quarantine, of COVID, uh, post-George Floyd's assassination, where everybody now wants to talk about race. And now, allegedly, everyone wants to be anti-racist, which has been good for those of us who do work. Um, in this realm. So many folks want to see our work now. And so that has uh, motivated the publishing industry to put out more work since white audiences are now more willing to read about it. And I think the thing that I learned the first go round is that, again, my work is centered in blackness. I do my work for and about black folks. If white folks gain something from it, that's great. But I don't write with white folks in mind. There are lots of folks who do because that's where the money is. At least that's what publishers presume, right? That there's still this idea that, you know, we have to cater to particular audiences because those are audiences that are going to buy the books. At the time, they didn't see how this was a topic that white folks would be interested in. 
Um, and the book was going to be expensive to produce because it's full color and it includes photography. And at the time, I couldn't find a publisher who was willing to invest and take the risk. So I published it myself. I understand the aha moment came, um, you were at a panel event in New York and um, a woman beside you said, I'm a black Puerto Rican woman from South Bronx. Uh-huh. Tell me what what struck you immediately? What was your first thought when she introduced herself that way? Um, I was distracted primarily because I had never met anyone who identified as a black Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican, in my lived experience, came a became another category. It was an option to not be black, right? So there was black, there was white, and there were all these other boxes that one could be. Um, at the time, folks weren't using the language of Afro-Latinx, at least not in my um, lived experience and not in the communities that I um, was familiar with. And so this was the first time, and mind you, this is after I have a whole Ph.D., in black studies. This is the first time that I'm meeting someone who's identifying in that way because in my experience, again, most folks who had the option to not be black chose the option to not be black. So if you allow me to call myself Puerto Rican or Dominican or whatever other term is available, then I'm going to choose that rather than choose black. And so I was surprised and fascinated and wanted to know more about this person who saw themselves as both black and Puerto Rican. Um, I was curious, you know, um, what I do every week on my show is ask questions. And um, your book is is profiling um, former students and friends and family members, and you got an opportunity to interview them. What was what was one of your favorite questions to ask? And tell me what what you know, what surprised you the most in, in writing this book? Um. I don't know about a favorite question. I asked everyone to tell me how they identify racially and culturally. So what was interesting was just, again, the variety of terms. And in the book, I use the exact language that they use to self-identify. You know, the variety of terms that people um, use to identify themselves. And I, I remember in the process of writing and designing the book, myself having a moment where it's like, well, how do I define myself? For so long, I used the language that I was allowed to use, at least that's how it felt, the language that was given to me. And it felt very kind of like empowering and inspiring to meet all these people who were literally creating their own terminology. And so in the book, it's the first time that I use the language, uh, I believe I use uh, American-born Ghanaian. I had never used that language before. And and even having conversations, I remember having a conversation with uh, my editor, because I think I had first written Ghanaian, uh, what did I write? I, I wrote Ghanaian American. But having this long conversation where we were literally picking that apart, like, what does that mean? What does Ghanaian American mean? Do I consider myself an American? You know, um, is it important to note that I was born here, but I identify as Ghanaian? Like these are conversations that most of us, and that's what I hear from so many people who have read and are reading the book. It's like, these are things that I don't think about. You know, you, you, you take the boxes that are given to you, you check them and you move on. But thinking again about whatever the quote unquote problem is, we take race as a fact. 
right? Race is something that has been historically constructed in a particular way with particular particular uh, political implications. And we don't question those political implications. We take it as fact and we move on. But there's so much that we can learn and unlearn and so much that we can do and undo if we just start to think critically about what these racial categories are really saying. What does it mean to identify as black? I, you know, we're, we're out of time again in this segment, but I want that word identity. I have two questions when we come back. Is it necessary that we formulate our identity? And is it right or wrong to base it on DNA or our lived experience? Because it's this whole combination of things. And everyone, if you, if you say to someone, you know, where are you from? To me, that is, where, where's your beginning? And just a geographical question. Um, but who are you is more, I guess, about the genetic, cultural generations before you and how has that how has that um developed the way you live your life the choices you make the emotions you have etc um we're going to save that for the last segment stay with us for my interview with dr yaba blay we'll be right back and stay tuned for the watch team now the women to watch military watch Hello, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Many veterans and military families are being impacted by the recent events in Afghanistan, the chaotic withdrawal and the takeover by the Taliban. It is understandable to question the meaning and purpose of service and if their sacrifice and that of their families was worth it. But I hope we can all take comfort in knowing that we answered the call of our nation and that we kept Afghanistan and the U.S. safe from the Taliban for 20 years. We did what our government asked, and regardless of the final outcome, service does matter. At its peak, there were more than 100,000 U.S. troops in Afghanistan in 2010. The number of troops has steadily shrunk over the past decade. While news coverage debates the decision to cease combat operations, the highest-ranking enlisted service member in the military said veterans from the war should remember the positive to help reconcile their service. And he is Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Ramon Colon Lopez. And he recently shared that, quote, Our purpose for being there was to prevent the further attacks on the homeland. We wanted to make sure that we denied al-Qaeda, specifically, of sanctuary, training ground, and places where they could plan terrorism attacks. So if you look at the past 20 years, that is exactly what we did. There hasn't been a single attack on the homeland. For our veterans, be proud of what you did because you have kept the country safe over these last 20 years. Now, while many veterans have reconciled their service, not all have, but we can all take a role and lead our military families and friends to the many resources that are available. There are military community serving organizations that are addressing this topic, such as the American Legion and the VFW. And a basic search on support for veterans of the Afghan war will reveal many resources. The VA has made this a top priority, so I strongly urge you to visit blogs.va.gov forward slash vantage. And I ask listeners to reach out to the veterans and military families and express your awareness and support in these tough times. As Colonel Lopez said, for any veteran listening, be proud of what you've done. Our government made the decision and we followed lawful orders. This principle is the cornerstone of our democracy. 
Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined by Dr. Yaba Blay. And I wanted to do this at the top of the show. I wanted, I think it's important always to share someone's um, education. It speaks a lot to me about your own um, curiosity and, and wanting to learn. You earned a Master of Arts a Ph.D. in African-American studies, a graduate certificate in women's studies from Temple, and a master of education in counseling and psychology. That gives you a lot of knowledge. Um, And always when someone has studied psychology, I I say to myself, that to me is the most important study. I think we should all um, learn about that. But I want to speak also about the word identity, and it, it, it really encompasses the work that you're doing and how people self-identify and whether they think about who they are genetically, where they came from, or what their life experience has been. So I just want to give you the opportunity to kind of unpack that for our listeners and explain to them what's important to you behind your work when it comes to the word identity. I mean, identity... In its simplest form, it's who are you, right? And so there are so many facets that comprise our identity. There's so many ways that uh, we can answer that question, who are you? I'm interested in all of the ways in which we think about ourselves, right? For each person, there are going to be uh, a variety of things that impact who you are. What has come to make me who I am may not be the same factors that have come to make you who you are, right? And so in terms of, I don't think it's an either or in terms of genetics versus lived experience. I think it is the, 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 the interaction of those two, right? It is your genetics, it is your ancestry, it is the historical kind of uh, legacy that comes before you that all come to meet in this moment and impact how you can live through this moment. It's how you see yourself, but it's also how others see you. You know, so when we talk about the psychology of identity, it would be great, you know, if we could all just be in our own silos and say, I am who I am and it doesn't matter what other people think or say. It, it does. <laughs> it, it impacts us, you know, whether we want to admit it or not. And so a lot of our identity is about navigating that space. You know, it's about growth and development and coming to recognize, I think, the extent to which we allow other people's perceptions of us impact our own perceptions of ourselves. So I think it's a variety of ways in which we come to understand who we are. When you think about your daughter, mm-hmm. um, and this exact topic, I think, you know, I have children and mm-hmm. we always as parents want them to not take ownership of what someone else thinks or says or does. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're human and, and we do. So what kind of conversations do you have with her to help her not to do that, not to let the opinions, perceptions and, and ideas of others affect her? You know, I don't I wouldn't say that and I get it as a parent, I think in a lot of time a lot of ways we want to swoop in and fix it, right? So I think the easy thing to do would be like, those people don't matter, it doesn't matter what they say, it only matters what you say or, or how you feel. And that's not true. 
So I think a, a more honest conversation is to allow her the space to talk about how it makes her feel that other people might say certain things or that other people might think a particular way about her and to unpack that. You know, what's that experience like to to be met with other people's opinions of you? And does that align with your opinion of yourself? Right. To work through that. We all have opinions. We have our own opinions of other people. What extent should to what extent should what we think about somebody else impact their day to day lives? Is that fair? You know, I, I feel like parenting is a hard job. And I think oftentimes we want to make it simple. And we think that by just showing our children love and just telling them certain things, uh, uh, you know, as soon as we're faced with something um, to make them feel better about themselves, that'll help. But as adults, I think if we're honest and reflect back, we know that those things, as much as our parents gave it to us in love, did it change how we felt? Were we absolutely like were, were we able to receive what they were saying? Aren't your parents supposed to say that kind of stuff to you? Right. So we nod our heads. We smile. We thank them. We move on. It doesn't change how we feel. I think as parents, we have to honor our children's humanity and have real conversations with them and also admit that we're not all we're not always able to fix everything. Yeah. And let them kind of explore and, and figure things out on their own, I think, is one of the most critical things we can do. You know, I think it's really tough to be public as you are speak out write write this book I, you know in talking about what other people think my goodness you just you know you get a barrage of feedback negative positive what tell me where the courage came from in you to do that you know um not want to stay out of the fray but really be very um forward uh, and public about the work that you're doing where, where did that confidence come from I, I don't know that I can pinpoint it I think it's uh, I think it's who I am you know I think that I know when I think back to my own lived experience there were people who spoke up and spoke out you know about a variety of things there were people who spoke up and spoke out on my behalf I know how important that was to my own growth and development, that there were times that I needed cheerleaders and supporters and people to hold my hand through things. And I think that in many ways, you know, having had the experience and knowing its importance, wanting to do the same. Um, yeah, but I'm, I, yeah, I, I think it's just who I am. Yeah. Well, then that, you know, to me, that that is genetic. You know, some, you're, you're born, you're, you're definitely born with certain things. I think it was interesting. You, you talked about being raised Catholic. Um, do you practice religion today? Are you spiritual? What do you lean on um, mm -hmm. to get you through the stressful times? I'm spiritual. I am a priest in the Lukumi tradition, which is a traditional African tradition uh, from West Africa, specifically from Nigeria. It's traveled through the diaspora. And the thing that attracted me to this tradition is that it is what many of our ancestors used to survive the traumatic experience of colonization and enslavement that we held on to our gods. We held on to our spirituality. We didn't allow our spirits to be colonized. And so uh, even in this moment, it, it feels 
very very girding I don't even know another word to use but their strength in holding on to to who I am traditionally um, historically and culturally and so yeah I would say that I'm a spiritual person is there another book in your future yes I am struggling in this moment to write (laughs) to write a proposal for the next book yes well listen this was a very you know fast interview but i am very grateful for your time and i wish you continued success Um, you're doing important work it's fascinating thank you thanks for being here that's it everyone for another week of women to watch stay tuned next week for my conversation with attorney song shu yen have a great week everyone Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.